Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Greg Wells, and this is my podcast. I'm a scientist, a physiologist, an author, and I love exploring how to live a high-performance life. In my books, my presentations, and this podcast, I am doing my best to translate hard science and powerful experiences into actionable, effective life performance strategies. Using the latest research on the brain and the body, this podcast will show you simple but transformative strategies that boost mental and physical health, advance careers, and upgrade lives. I am committed to changing one life at a time for the better. I want to focus on health, happiness, and performance, and I call my mission the billion-person problem. And I don't kid myself that I'm going to reach a billion people, but that's the dream and the space where my passion, my expertise, and my practices all come together. My passion is to help people live healthier and more impactful lives. My expertise lies in the research that I both try to conduct and engage in for a living, And my practice is devoted to providing evidence-based insights and strategies that make it possible to achieve personal and professional success. And that is what this podcast is all about. I hope that you love the show and it makes a big difference in your life. Let me know what you think on Twitter at Dr. Greg Wells. And without any further delays, let's dive into this episode of the Dr. Greg Wells podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us. And in today's episode, I'm going to share with you a keynote that I did first of three parts where I break down some of the insights from world-class athletes. This was a keynote that I did talking all about sports and sports performance and what we can gain and understand from taking what world-class athletes do, but applying that to our everyday lives. And I think that there's tons to be taken away from, from this, uh, very specific tactics, insights, specifically around how world-class athletes uh, handle themselves under very difficult circumstances and conditions. So I'm, I know that there's a lot to take away from this, and uh, I, I hope that you find it super helpful as well. So anyway, no further delays. Here is my keynote all about peak performance insights from world-class athletes. Enjoy. Let me know what you think on social at Dr. Greg Wells. And I want to actually begin with the mind-blowing thing that uh, we are here in Vancouver. I'm here in, the, the reason why I am standing here today is because of what happened almost exactly 10 years uh, ago in this exact same spot, actually about two or three blocks away uh, at the International Broadcast Centre for the 2010 uh, Vancouver Olympics, which is at the Convention Centre, which is literally straight uh, down a few blocks on, on the water from here. And that was a situation, it's a terrible picture, it's, the lighting's awful, but it's just because all the light was coming into the studio, and that's Brian Williams, the Canadian uh, host on uh, Olympic primetime, and that was taken uh, practicing for the very first uh, day of the Olympics in 2010. And I was part of the broadcast team, I was like the last person brought to the Olympics to help commentate, I was the last person added, I, I was in a hotel out by the airport because there's no hotels left downtown, like it was... Uh, it was pretty crazy. I'd never really been on television before. They're like, we should probably have someone to talk about sports science just in case something happens. And so they got all 500 people together that were working for CTV at the broadcast center about five or six hours before the Olympics was about to begin. And they showed a video that I had put together uh, 
for when I did a series called Super Bodies. And it's this video. So I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to run you through what happened on day one of the Olympics in 2010. So this is the video. <laughs> Luge, skeleton, bobsled. Three sports, one track, and enough force to take your breath away. Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Wells. Looks pretty simple, doesn't it? Like tobogganing down a snowbank. But trust me, sports that look simple are usually the hardest to do. Take skeleton. It's like you're a human rocket getting slammed by G-force. That's the gravity that crushes your body when you accelerate or fly around a corner. Astronauts experience three Gs on takeoff, but sliding athletes, five Gs. So how does that affect your body? Five Gs makes your body feel five times its weight. Your head like 90 pounds alone. G-force also messes up your blood flow. Normally, blood pumps evenly through your arteries and into your brain. When you're hit by a G-force, your blood gets driven down towards the ice. Vision gets blurry, your muscles seize up, and it's wickedly hard to concentrate, which you have to do to survive these curves. Whistler has 16 of the most dangerous curves in the world. Here's how the corners really punish you. As the G-forces drive your body down into the track from above, the centrifugal forces try to push you off to the side. So at this speed, you have to brace yourself. You'll need to contract every muscle in your body to make it perfectly balanced. And since you're sliding on rods, you're on edge the entire race. It's risky. Shift a millimeter from your sweet spot and you'll miss the fastest line through the corner. And that means losing the race. You'll need complete focus, even though your heart's beating like a jackhammer and all you see is a blur of ice. That's how you survive Whistler. The most dangerous toboggan ride in the world. But no pain, no gain, and no goal. Who's feeling kind of nauseous right now? <clears throat> you know what happened next? Uh, yeah, Nodar Kamaritashvili was killed about an hour later on that track. I said stuff like, you know, what you have to do to survive these curves, right? And you, that's what it takes to win gold, a load of crap. And, um, God damn, I cry every time I see you guys. It sucks. <laughs> I hate that. But, um... Like, I've coached 200 Olympic athletes, right? And I've spent my life, oh, God, you're good. <clears throat> and um, I've spent my entire life around kids at the hospital, and it's, it's like, you can see the effect. It's like crazy. Danielle and I went running by the, um, by the convention center, just and every time I run by it, I'm like, oh, my God, this is crazy. I feel really weird when I'm, when I'm here. And so 500 of us saw that. And then we're watching, getting ready for opening ceremonies, and we get news that Nodar Kumari Tashvili has crashed on that track and killed young Georgian uh, loser. And we're in this room, kind of shell-shocked, and it's about three hours before opening ceremonies. 
and Keith Pelly, the head of the CTV Olympic Consortium, comes into the room, scans 500 of us, walks through all 500 people, comes and finds me. All 500 people are kind of like this, right, as he comes and finds me, and he looks at me and he goes, you're gonna be the lead uh, interview of the Olympic broadcast. You're gonna go on right before opening ceremonies and you're gonna explain what just happened. And he turns around and leaves. I've never been on TV before. So, and I'm wearing jeans and a t-shirt. I'm dressed like Alan. And, um, <laughs> sorry. That was my recovery, buddy. I needed you there. I needed that. I needed to have that break in tension, man. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So I haul ass back to the airport because I'm not in a hotel down by the broadcast center, grab a suit, zip back down to the broadcast center, run through security, jump into the studio, which you guys saw right there, sit down next to Brian, and uh, the lights come on, I'm sweating, uh, my mouth is parched, dry, and they show the video. Not that one, the real one. And I'm freaking out. And they thank God, they ask the first question to the coach who's sitting next to me. And they say, please take us through the run and explain the track. And I'm sitting there, and I take three deep breaths, and I realize I'm hyperventilating on national TV. So then I remember belly breathing, so I take three deep belly breaths, and I calm myself right down. And then they uh, show that, a segment of what you just saw, the, of the Sat Superbodies thing, which never went to air, by the way. No one's ever seen that before. And uh, I explained sort of what was happening with G-forces and the fact that I was pretty sure that he was, uh, had been knocked out before he hit the side and got popped out. And then uh, James Duthie from TSN asked me a curveball question. He said, was the athlete responsible? Which was the narrative at the time. He was too inexperienced to be on the track and he, was, he had made a mistake. That was the narrative in the, in the media and what was going out. And I paused for a second and because I had calmed myself down, I was able to actually think and I said, you know what, I think that every single athlete at the Olympic Games pushes the limits of what humans are capable of. The alpine skiers, the downhill skiers, go 130 kilometers an hour down a mountain that is frozen, it is ice on razor blade edges. Freestyle aerialists fly 60 feet in the air and land on a 45 degree slope. Over and over and over again, these athletes are pushing the limits of what humans are capable of. Their experience is tested. Every single one of the athletes at this Olympic Games, their experience is being tested. That is what the Olympics is. There is no other option than for them to come in and find the limits of what they are capable of. So was it a problem with the experience level of the athlete? Absolutely not. It cannot be. That is what the Olympics is. What I believe occurred was that there was a design flaw in that section of the track that if you missed and went up too high, you had to come down, hit the side, which would have popped you out into one of the steel girders, which is exactly what happened. So I was able to shift the narrative, because I was speaking to 10 million people at the time, from the athlete was responsible to the athlete was pushing the limits of what they were capable of, which is what the Olympics is all about. And I was able to shine and build, I believe, respect and admiration for the athlete under incredibly difficult circumstances and change the narrative. My goal going into the Olympics was maybe to get on prime time two or three times, which would have been wonderful. I did interviews all over the world next, the next day, and it fundamentally changed the trajectory of my life. And I rationalized the fact that my life went on a different trajectory through the horrific tragedy of another, 
by saying that he was doing what he loved to do. He was pushing limits of what he was capable of. That is what he did. That is what he was supposed to do. That is what he would probably do, would do again. And I think that by always framing things in a positive way, we can fundamentally shift the, con the conversation. And if we control ourselves, if we respond instead of react to situations, we can control the narrative, shift everything into positivity, and move the entire world forwards, which I think I did in that instant. Not to sort of take mass amounts of credit for it, but in the deconstruction and analysis of it, that's what I think occurred, which is why uh, I ended up doing everything basically that I've done ever since, and uh, why I'm actually standing here today. So that happened, like, this is the shot, you know, a few weeks later, and um, my life was, was, was altered forever. And I got a chance to go and hang out with, and now at three Olympic Games, which is amazing, work with a couple hundred Olympic athletes, and I want to share with you the insights very specifically today around one idea, which is the idea that I just shared with you, is that we have inflection points in our life. And how do we actually fundamentally tweak those inflection points to make sure that we go in one direction and not another? And it's not an easy thing to do. It's extraordinarily difficult. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And I think there's a framework that we can use, which I'm going to share with you today, which I picked up from Elon Musk. And uh, I want to share that with you and just take you on a journey through the Olympics. I'm going to try to show you a lot of video because I know that I'm at the end of the day and you're probably tired. So it's also going to be as entertaining as I can possibly make it now that I have, uh, that I have your attention. So later on in that Olympics in Vancouver, this also happened. It's not going to be all doom and gloom, but I'm, I don't know if any of you guys remember this or not, but this is Petra Majdic. And her story was that she was number one ranked skier in the world, cross-country skier in the world, uh, leading into the Olympic Games. And she was warming up on a very gentle turn. She just happened to slip and fall off the track. And she ended up breaking five ribs, four or five ribs. And I don't know if you can imagine what it would be like and how much pain having five broken ribs is, but every single time that you breathe, your ribs scrape over each other. Every single time that you would pull or pull with your ski poles, your lat muscles, which attach to your rib cage, would yank on your rib cage. So she's injured, five broken ribs, in warm-ups, she decides to race anyway. And she goes through heats, and she gets through the heat. And then two hours later, they announce that she's gone fast enough to make it into the semifinals. And she decides to race the semifinals. Five broken ribs. She goes out, she warms up again, she gets out there, she does her race, and she gets into the final. And in the final, she manages to keep going. But in the final, one of the ribs punctures a lung, her lung collapses, and she has a pneumothorax on one side of her body. And so she only has one lung, she keeps going. It's like the perfect salesperson for Phil Jones, right? Let's just never, ever say no. And on she goes, and she eventually ends up on the podium winning a bronze medal which is unbelievably incredible. And she's on the podium with her ambulance technician on the right and the doctor on the left. She refused to go to the hospital until she had the metal around her neck. And then they immediately put her in the air ambulance and flew her to Vancouver, and uh, she ended up being fine. The next day, she did an interview. And in the interview, she said something that completely blew my mind and changed my perspective on things around all the work that I do with Olympic-level athletes. And what she said was this. They said, Petra, that must have been so incredibly painful. How did you do that? She paused for a second. She said, you know what? The pain that I went through yesterday, racing to win that bronze medal, was nothing compared to the pain, suffering, and sacrifice that I've gone through over the last 25 years training to reach my dream. And I was listening, because I was in a press conference, and I was like, dream. She didn't say goal. She said dreams. It's like, okay, that's different. I've not heard that from a lot of my athletes before. We do goal setting. We could probably do something called dream setting. That's different. 
That was a huge insight for me. It forced me to always, 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 from that moment forwards, never do the average. The average is every athlete does goal setting. Most companies do goal setting. That doesn't make you exceptional. Slightly above average, to quote, you know, everybody doing this is just so much overlap with the content today. It's so super cool. But this is what I began to do ever since. Think big and then deliberately force myself to think bigger. That is now a deliberate practice with everything that we try to do. When you have a goal, pivot it and say, if it was bigger, could I make this into a dream? Could I make this more powerful, more inspirational, more impactful? And then two nights ago, as I was trying to figure out what I was going to speak about, I had this insight, which is basically like, what is an epic dream? And I couldn't tilt the E, Stu, sorry. But that's like, I wrote that up. I was like, what is an epic dream? How do we actually really push the limits of what we are capable of? And I thought about Elon Musk, who is one of my idols at the moment. And I think that he's doing some incredible things around the world and making a tremendous effort to try to change the future and make it, make it better for us. And recently, he was able to, SpaceX, his, his company, was able to launch uh, the Falcon Heavy rocket, which now is uh, the first rocket where we are able to reuse the boosters. And you'll see the importance of that in a, in a few minutes. But as I began to explore what Elon is doing, I looked through a lot of his work, and I found this article. He actually published a research paper in a scientific journal called Making Humans a Multiplanetary Species. This is the dream. Tesla is about creating a carbon-free future. It's not a car company. It's a carbon-free future company. SpaceX is not a rocket company, even though that's what they get paid to do. It's about making humanity a multi-planetary species. The reason why that rocket is called the Falcon Heavy is he named it after the Millennium Falcon. How cool is that is you get to build a rocket and name it after something in Star Wars? Like, I think that's cool, right? Not super practical, but super cool. So I read this article, and his vision here is clearly laid out. And as I move you through this process, I want you to pay attention to the top right. And I'm going to move through this relatively quickly, because as I dissected this science paper that he published in a scientific journal, I realized that this is a foundational process that anyone can use to achieve your dreams. So the second thing that he did after he laid out his vision was he very clearly identified what the problem was. And the problem is, is that there's a group of people that want to go to Mars and a group of people that can afford to go. And because the current cost of a trip to Mars is infinite money, they do not overlap. So currently, it is impossible. If you take this a little bit step further, that is the problem. The current state is that the actual cost of a trip to Mars is about $10 billion for one human. Again, not a financial decision that most of us would be able to make on a daily basis. But the solution is if there's an overlap. The solution is when the, cost, the median cost of a trip to Mars is equal to the median cost of a home in the United States, about 250 grand. So it's like, do I move to LA or do I move to Mars? Same decision-making process, right? That's what has to actually happen for this to be solved. You then take this a step further, and what he does is he clearly lays out four steps to make this happen. And when you use exponential mathematics, you actually only need four and a half orders of magnitude in order for this to occur. And he identifies what the four critical things are that need to happen in order for this to occur. It would come from full reusability, 
refilling in orbit, propellant production on Mars, and choosing the right propellant. Like, not, not difficult to overcome, actually, if you look at it. And then he clearly lays out which of those four orders of magnitude is the most important one. The critical element is reusing the rockets. This is what costs 98% of the money, actually. So you solve this problem, you solve most of the issues. And then he lays out what we, one of the critical steps that we currently cannot do, and that is to produce propellant uh, on Mars, which is why they are searching for water on Mars. They say it's about finding life. It's actually about finding fuel so that we can get people to and from Mars relatively easily. It's a great marketing plan. So this is the advance that is required. He then lays out the progress to date. What have we done? Clearly outlines the next steps, which if you actually look at this and you think about what's actually happening, the Red Dragon just started getting, it's a little bit off, but we're about a year and a half behind on this. We will probably, so we're gonna miss this launch window, 2025, but we will probably see humans on the surface of Mars around 2027. Right? So within the next 10 years, eight years from now, we're gonna see a human on the surface of Mars. Pretty crazy, right? If you follow this, and it's entirely possible, but then he does something very, very interesting. He lays out the future, which is that there needs to be a propellant depot on Europa so that we can do flybys of Saturn. Remember when we heard today about the, uh, Usain Bolt going 110 yards? It's the exact same process. The exact same thing in all of the speakers happens over and over and over again because these are universal human truths. So. I now would like to lead you through these steps. And if you think about it and just follow my, just look up here for a second. I'm gonna make all my slides available to you guys, by the way, so it's great if you're taking notes, but just track top right. The vision, the problem, the current state, the solution, the four steps, the critical element, the advance, progress to date, next steps, and the future. I'm going to show you this process and lead you through it, and you can work on this as well mentally, and the handout that I gave you is actually a full handout with all of these steps laid out. So if you wanna write in there as we go, feel free to do so. That's just a document that you can use to make some notes, and as Phil mentioned, you can just put it in somewhere later on when you get home and never look at it again, but hopefully you learn something from it as we go, as we go along. And I am going to be doing this based upon a clarity of vision that I would like to establish from this moment forwards in my life, and it's all around health and well-being. Therefore, I'm hoping that given that it's all about health and well-being, it's relevant for you individually, even though I'm gonna talk about humanity. So the vision, this step here for Elon, is making humans a multi-planetary species. I then challenged myself after I heard Ron speak, I actually wrote some stuff in my journal as he was speaking, and this is what I wrote. I believe that every human deserves to have access to science and tactics about health and performance so that they can maximize their potential and reach their dreams fast. I don't remember that part of his talk, but I actually wrote this down as he was speaking. That is my, and I called it the epic vision because I'm sitting here in this room. And then last night and this morning, I was able to distill it down into this, helping humanity reach its potential. That is my, that is my Greg's vision, but doing it one person at a time, starting with you 50 in this room right now. And so that is the vision that I have. That is my dream. And I'm going to pause just for a second and say, let's take a moment and just sort of think, what is yours? What would really resonate for you if you were to say, like, what is your vision? What is your dream? And it can be anything. It can be being a great parent. It can be being a great partner. It can be getting into 
incredible shape. It can be molding the future of student athletes. It can be helping people be more philanthropic. It can be absolutely anything, building safer buildings. I, we have some people in the room doing some unbelievably cool things. So what would that be for you? What are the possibilities for you around your dream, your vision, something that would really help you have impact in your life so that when you are lying on your deathbed, you can have a little grin on your face? Anyone care to throw some ideas around? David? Super cool. Anyone else? Shelly's going to win bodybuilding world championships. You just won't admit it yet. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> nice. One more? Kevin? Helping companies become better versions of themselves by helping their employees. Nice. Super cool. For the record, um, as I'm standing here today, in my equipment that I have around, I have cufflinks, gold Buddha cufflinks that Kevin gave me. I have a Mont Blanc pen that David gave me. Uh, I've got a cardiac Cartier watch on that someone else gave me. I'm not going to name the name the person, uh, but like I'm covered in gifts from this group. So that's uh, this ring is from Kevin Dooley. I just like so thank you guys for that. Just to you know make a note of the fact that I'm standing here because of all of you. So it's super cool. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, the next thing we're going to dive into is this. What is the problem? So for me, my problem around helping humanity reach its potential. And we need to always identify what is this issue? What is the performance gap that we're faced with here? And for Elon and his model, it looks like this. The cost of a trip to Mars is infinite money. For me, it's the billion person problem, which is the fact that 25% of our population diagnosed sleeping disorder, 58% of our population has overweight or obesity, 85% of our population doesn't get enough physical activity to prevent a chronic disease, and one in five of us will face a mental health challenge at some point in their lives, which includes anything from mild anxiety and depression all the way through to suicide and personality disorders and other challenges. What does that look like specifically? It looks something like this on sleep. We have society-level problems with how we're managing our sleep. We know that when we do these and we shine our devices through our eyes, and this is an MRI scan of the brain, it's a slice through the head at the level of the eyes, when we zoom in on it, you can actually see the eyeballs up there and the brain tissue behind. We have these devices, and we shine them into our eyes late at night. It hits the light hits the back of your eyeball in a structure that looks like this that converts light into electricity, which passes back through your optic nerve into your pineal gland, which releases a hormone called melatonin. Melatonin controls your sleep-wake cycles. So when we're shining these devices into our eyes, we are literally shutting down our pineal gland, making it incredibly difficult for us to fall asleep quickly and deeply. Society-level problems with the way that we're trying to sleep right now. We also have society-level problems with food and the amount of processed foods that we're being fed, which have been shown in the research to shrink the part of the brain that I've circled there in red called the hippocampus, which is responsible for learning. Think about that. Like the foods that we offer children in schools shut down and destroy the regions of the brain that are associated with learning. 
a takeaway for you from this session is to do a deep audit of what foods are available in your home and your workplace. You want to make sure that success is inevitable. We go for treats. We just don't have them in my house. Right? We'll go out for ice cream. Ice cream can't be in my house because I eat it all, all of it. I had an ice cream bar in the Sahara Desert once, and it will change the way my brain works. I can't have ice cream around. I will eat it all. It's just like, that's a long, long story. <clears throat> but actually, like, it, yeah, I won't get into it. It's too psychologically damaging. Um, <laughs> all right, I will. I can't let it go now. Sorry. So I'm cycling across the Sahara Desert, part of the Tour de Freak, and it's hot. It's like 52 degrees. I'm sweating. I'm super hungry. I'm very, very sick because I drank Ethiopian water, which is a great way to lose weight, not a good way to feel good. And um, I see a power line. And so I'm cycling along, and I look at the power line. And I'm like, well, that's bizarre, because we're in the Sahara. So I keep riding, 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 riding. And then the power line goes off into the desert. It's like, well, I've got nothing else. So I'm going to go see where that goes. So I pull off my bike, and I cycle off down this little tiny path. And the power line goes into a little village and into a hut in the middle of nowhere, like we're talking very rural Africa in the southern part of the Sahara Desert. And in the hut I go in and there is a, it's about this big actually, it's a freezer full of Magnum ice cream bars. How they got there, what they were doing there, I have absolutely no idea. I bought them all, I ate them all, there was children that were starving all around me, I didn't care, I ate all of them, I was covered in like, I was so hungry that I ate all the ice cream. So when I say psychological damage, eating an ice cream pop in front of starving African children in 52 degree heat, like it's just gonna warp with all, because you can't stop, but you know it's bad, right? So it's, you feel guilty about it the rest of your life, so I'm just fixing my karma by admitting it in front of all of you guys. Never actually told that full story before, so here we go. Um, we have a society global level issue when it comes to the availability of unhealthy foods. This is an image that I took on an expedition to India, and you can just see the type of foods that are available in even rural India. There's always a place to find junk food now. And as these types of foods are getting into China, India, Brazil, Malaysia, even Kenya, the diseases of the West are following. Cancer, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, depression. One of the most interesting things that's happened over the last few years is the emergence of a brand new field of inquiry, which is nutritional psychiatry the use of foods to treat mental illness. We now know very specifically that there are links between the foods that we eat and our mental health. And this is now part of the global pandemic that we have around the bad food that we are being provided. We need to do things very, very differently. Around physical inactivity, I've shown some of you this before, but it's one of my favorite images to show. This is the electrical activity inside the brain of a zebrafish at rest. Watch what happens when it starts to move. The whole brain comes to life. Right? Stop swimming, brain shuts off, start swimming again, and the entire brain comes to life. Just think about how we teach kids in schools, right? or how most workplaces are set up. Actually, I think, Kevin, one of the best things you've done is you actually have like a spin studio in your office. Right? Like How cool is that? You're making success inevitable for, for your employees. It's super inspirational. People are doing some amazing things as part of this, this group. Uh, when, we, when it comes to mental health, the biggest challenge that we're faced with, I believe, is that we're living in an era of absolute mass distraction. Constant, unrelenting notifications from our devices. I love this thing. I'm a big fan of technology. 
I think the fact that I can FaceTime my kids while I'm here in Vancouver in morning and night at night is fantastic. I have the entire history of all human knowledge in my pocket at all times. Brilliant. I'm not anti-social media either. The Me Too movement happened on social. You know, as the father of a little girl, I'm pretty fired up about that. I like the fact that she's safer now as a result of the Me Too movement. Even at a higher level than that, if you think about it, the Arab Spring happened on Twitter. An entire change to a huge part of the world for the better. Execution now is they're struggling, but whatever, it's still better than, than it was before. And here's some crazy statistics I pulled out for you. Check this out. People, on average, adults spend 60 hours per year checking for alerts. This is not answering emails. That's not reading emails. That's checking to see if you have a notification. Just checking to see if you're being notified. Here's another instantaneous tactic for you. All notifications on all devices off at all times. When you want to check your email, your social, your text messaging, you check it. But no one else controls your time, only you. It's a game-changing approach for you. All audio notifications off, all buzz notifications off, all of them off. And the second thing is, on average, teenagers touch their phones 2,000 or more times a day. Adults are equal to or worse. Imagine if you touched your partner 2,000 times a day, right? Change your relationship, maybe, right? For better or for worse, I'm not quite sure which. <clears throat> and I would encourage all of you, as a personal audit, to on your level of distraction, try the screen time feature if you have iOS to see how much time you spend on your device and what you spend your device. This is not my data. This is Jill's data. Random person just happens to be the person that helped me put together these slides. She was kind enough to put her data up there and she's now working on fixing it. She realizes this is a bit of an issue. So we need to do things a little bit differently. Now, when, why am I showing you all of this information about sleeplessness, physical inactivity, mental health, and, and obesity and, and overweight? Because of this. Two videos I've got for you. Here's the first one, and it's a video of um, me. I'm up in the Atacama Desert, which is in South America. It's about 12,000 feet, and I was there a few years ago on an expedition, doing a running expedition across the desert. Uh, and you'll see what happens, and you'll see why I'm showing this to you in a, in a second. So this is what occurs. Rolling. Okay, here we are up on the uh, back half of the cellar. It's uh, still pretty high. We're about 12,000 feet right now. Running about 10 kilometers to go, 30K into the run for the day. It's a pretty harsh environment. A few of us decided to play around, because you know, why not? We did about a 400-meter sprint, and uh, there's hardly any oxygen up here. So we went anaerobic really quick, hyperventilating like crazy, muscles burning. So my nose literally exploded. Like I was running and I just could have like exhaled a little bit hard and blood just like out of my face. So I think that's fun. Some people probably don't, but this is what I kind of get off on doing. Um, I was like, can I come on the next expedition? So we get to the next rest stop and I see this. So this, it blew my mind. Kill the lights, it's only about 10 seconds. It's not when we're running, it's Yeah. 
was the feeling uh, they gave us. Yeah. 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 This little kid is told by his dad to plant quinoa. So here's what I saw as I'm sitting there with blood running down my face looking at this. And Ferg, my buddy, who's one of the best ultramarathoners in the world, is going to go over and help him. Um, potential unrealized. This burns my soul because I've been to 50 countries now, all over Africa, all over South America, all over India, uh, North America, schools in you know, northern Canada, and like just I see potential unrealized. And that is what's happening, I believe. Like we're just not able to reach our potential because we don't have the basics right. We need to do the basics right, all of us. And this is what happens when it, when it doesn't work. So we end up doing things that are next to impossible and banging our heads against the wall, making no progress. And this is what, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm so soul destroyed even just watching that video again. I haven't watched it in a long, long time. So that is the problem. We have obesity, we have physical inactivity, we have mental health, we have uh, all of the things I've just outlined. But at the end of the day, it's really about potential unrealized. I truly believe that as humanity, we're not realizing our potential right now. We need to do things differently. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you joining me for this episode of the podcast. Your time is incredibly valuable and spending it with me is just mind blowing. I, I thank you so much for doing that. It's great. If you want to support the show, if you enjoyed that segment and you want more, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and on Google Play. That makes a huge difference for us. And then also, if you can let me know what you think. All of my social media are at Dr. Greg Wells. And of course, if you can share this with anyone in your network, it would be greatly appreciated as well. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And we'll speak to you again really, really soon.